arm yourself with the evidence you need to make a case. But also, we really have to have a growth mindset and keep learning at the forefront of everything we do. We shouldn't sit there in our own little bubbles and focus on our communication skills only. At the end of the day, we are business people just like everybody else. And we need to act like business people. We use our communication expertise to solve business problems. But we are first and foremost business people just like everybody else. So one is to change your mindset. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're joined by Sia Papagiorgio, who is the managing partner at the Centre for Strategic Communication Excellence and one of the superstars of the communication profession. Sia is a multi-award-winning strategic communications leader, and she is on a mission to elevate the value and visibility of communication professionals and the work that they do. She is very opinionated about the profession, and I look forward to discussing that with her today. Sia is certified in strategic communication management. She is also a fellow of the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufactures and Commerce, and a past president of the Victorian chapter of the International Association of Business Communicators. And you would have heard me talk about the IABC many times on GovComs. And if you are not a member, you should be. So just quickly go and have a look at that and sign yourself up. It will be the smartest thing that you ever do. Sia has a been a past board director at IABC Asia Pacific and is the immediate past chair of the Global Communication Certification Council. And we are going to talk about the importance of certification. In 2021, IABC Asia Pacific named her Communicator of the Year. And in 2022, she was awarded the prestigious IABC Ray Hamlin Award in recognition of her exemplary service in advocating for that global standard. She is also a frequent contributor to the GovComs Institute, which we are very grateful for. And she joins me on the line today from Melbourne, Australia. Sia Papagiorgio, welcome to GovComs. Thank you so much, David, for that lovely introduction. It's wonderful to be here. You've really done wonderful work in promoting the the function of communication and the importance of strategic communication. Tell us the story. Where, where did this journey start? Because it's sort of not really a... It's not something that people talked about a lot back in the day. So tell us the story of how you moved from sort of high school through your early years into this sort of leadership role in strategic communication. So I, uh, when I was in high school, we had a careers week. Um, when I was in year nine, we have to go back to 1989 for that. And I was in my third year of high school and we had a, this careers week and every day we had people coming in telling us 
about what their jobs entailed, uh, you know, various professions. And on one of the days we had Melbourne newsreaders, Jennifer Kite and Glenn Taylor come to our school. And I don't remember much about Glenn Taylor, but I remember being in absolute awe of Jennifer Kite. And they told us about sourcing the news stories, connecting with the community, uh, putting it all together, being ready to present the news at 6pm that evening. And I just remember seeing this powerful, charismatic woman in front of me and I said, I want to be like that. And so I wanted to pursue a career in journalism. I didn't get into RMIT journalism after I finished high school, which was my first uh, choice uh, as, as, by way of university. But I did get into Swinburne and I studied media and communication. When I finished my university degree, I worked in broadcast journalism and radio production. And I really loved doing that. We were uh, putting together uh current affairs programs around women from uh, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. And that's something that's really, really dear to my heart because I'm a child of migrant parents. And so I loved doing that for a while. And then when I was in my 20s, I moved to London to work in public relations. And I had the absolute time of my life. I got to do some really exciting things. I went to Buckingham Palace and met the Princess Royal. We interviewed her for a corporate video. She was the patron of the charity uh, I worked at at the time and just had a really fantastic time of it. And then after about two years, I came back to Australia and I didn't have a job. And I got in touch with one of my colleagues who was a HR manager at a recruitment agency. And I said to her, Belinda, I need a job. Anything will do temporary job just so I can uh, until I can get a job in comms again and she said to me um Sia, there's a two-week stint at the Australian Taxation Office how about that and I went you've got to be kidding me the ATO um but I thought you know it's just two weeks what have I got to lose anyway I stayed 12 and a half years I started my ATO career as an APS2 and I left as the EL2 Director of Communication and Cultural Change for the service uh, delivery arm of the ATO. So I had a wonderful career at the ATO. And that's where I fell in love with strategic communication, David. And, and, and with that, where did you discover it? And how did you discover it in terms of the problems that you were solving or you were being asked to solve? I think the ATO at that time had a really great understanding of strategic communication. And we had an executive who really uh, got the value of communication. And so we had a great framework for communicating. We had uh, a strategy for communication, both internal and external. Uh, we, we, we knew what we were measuring. We understood our audiences. I know I'm saying we were perfect. We weren't. But we got strategic communication planning. And you know what? We hear a lot. I mean, I teach strategic communication for a living. I, um, as you mentioned in my introduction, I'm very involved in the profession. And you can't be a strategic communication professional if you don't act like a strategic communication professional. So that's, I had a really good foundation at the ATO. And so with that, though, and, and in terms of building that confidence, that trust, that respect in in the function. You say that the ATO got it or the leadership at the ATO at the time got it, but how did they get it? How was it that you were able to demonstrate to them the value of the work that you were doing? 
first of all, they loved the idea of, of having communication professionals who were skilled in communication. It wasn't just, there's no one else to do this job, and so let's put a team together. They were really uh, focused on skilled communication professionals who had uh, either tertiary qualifications, or at that time, uh, you know, certification wasn't big on the agenda, but at the same time, they had they put resources to the, the various campaigns. So, you know, whether you were working internally, I mean, I, I think at one point, our corporate communication function had something like 30 FTE. And that wasn't in, including the business line communication department. So each business line had their own sort of uh, functional area as well, but we had a corporate area that had about 25 to 30 FTE in them. Um, and, and so that, that whole resourcing behind it was, was really important. The, the measurement piece was important. Again, not, I'm not saying we were perfect, but they understood that communication as a function was just as important as other functions in the organisation. It wasn't seen as, say, the poor cousin uh, of, you know, human resources or finance or any other operational area. It was just as important. And we always got invited to... Um, the meetings that mattered, okay, and, and and the planning that mattered. A lot of that had to do with us as individuals, okay, so we initiated those relationships. But the ATO did understand that and valued the contribution we were making to the organisation and ultimately to, to the citizens of Australia. So I think that's a key point and, I, and perhaps I think the role of the communicator uh, in organisations, uh, given the impacts and the importance of digital technology, uh, mobility, uh, you know, you really do have to be telling a story consistently over time in order to engage with someone. And it, that, that does require confidence and relationships. What advice do you have to people about getting out and demonstrating their value to the organisation and getting out and building those relationships? What's the best way for people to go about and do that? So I always used to say to my team at the ATO, our job is to build relationships with people. That is the key component of our role. I mean, obviously, strategic planning is important and, and you can't be an effective communication professional if you don't plan strategically. But ultimately, what's going to get us, what not only elevate our value and visibility as strategic communication professionals, but what is going to get the agenda out there, make sure that we meet the needs and preferences of our audiences, and that is building relationships. If you don't know who you're talking to, who you're communicating with, you don't understand what challenges they have on a day-to-day -day basis, what uh, what frustrates them, what are their needs and preferences when it comes to communication, um, communication, well, how can you communicate with them effectively? And so... You know, you have to be really deliberate and disciplined about building relationships. And I think a lot of that comes down to us having the courage and the curiosity to go out and find out what's important to people, whether that is an external audience or an internal audience. Obviously, we have more uh, access to our internal audiences, but what's stopping you from going and, and meeting with your stakeholders and saying, you know, when I was at the ATL, I used to do things like, ask team leaders, hey, can I come to your team meeting next week just to learn a little bit more about your business and learn a bit more about your your team? And maybe the first time I did that, people would look at me like, why would you want to come to my team meeting? 
But my response to them was always, if I don't know about your business, I don't know what challenges your people have, how can I communicate effectively? But having the confidence to step forward and perhaps having the leadership to encourage people to step forward may be uh, a little bit of a gap where in organisations, you mentioned that the ATO valued it, they resourced it, they prioritised it in terms of communication. But I'm sure people listening uh, at the moment were would look at that and think, well, yeah, that's that's great for you. But, you know, I work in an organisation where it's not valued, it's not resourced, where the end of the line function, no one talks to us, no one wants to involve us. So if, if that's the difficult environment that you're operating in, again, what might be some advice as to how people can can have more impact and, and, and be able to demonstrate and create more value? I would say arm yourself with the information that resonates with the people in your organisation, whether they are other business functions or senior executives. Find out what matters to them and get to work gathering that information. There is a tonne of research out there that can help us do our jobs better. You know, I'm a massive research nerd and I truly believe that, you know, without without data, you're just another person with an opinion, okay? So look at what is going to resonate. I mean, there's a ton of information in the Edelman Trust Barometer, for example, that talks about the state of trust in various institutions and government is one of them. The European Communication Monitor, my favourite study on on strategic communication that comes out once a year use that data you there's a ton of data in your organization or the state of the service that's got a ton of information in it your internal research that you conduct surveys or engagement or employee experience polls your exit surveys there's a ton of information use that information to make a case for why communication is important and if you are measuring what matters in your organization you're measuring the right things then over time you'll collect the data you need to build a case for communication so when you got to the end of your journey at the ATO what when you look back on that period of time what were probably the two or three major things that you'd learnt that then helped you to take the next steps in your career So a key thing I learned at the ATO is the importance of listening uh, and just how how critical that is to to doing a good job as a communication professional. And I mentioned earlier I grew up in a, a, uh, you know, my parents are from Greece and my father's passed away now, but um, both were migrants. They came into this country 1960 and 1961. And my mother, who is the queen of Greek proverbs and other wise sayings, used to say to me all the time, See, so you dip your tongue in your brain before you speak. Um, so basically, you know, think before you speak. But but it taught me a really valuable lesson around listening more. Um, and I think, too, communication professionals have a real opportunity to ask the right questions that will give them the insight they need to create more purposeful communication. At the end of the day, we don't do comms because we've got nothing better to do. We do it because it meets a business need or it solves a business problem. Um, and the other lesson I learned too was a, was really around courage and being prepared to share your opinions and advice and to to you know back yourself around that. And I remember when I first became an EO two, um, I was at a business meeting with my peers uh, and the. Deputy Commissioner and Assistant Commissioners in our in our function, in our business area. And 
at the time I was still trying to find my feet as an EL2 and, and just like everybody else, I suffer from imposter syndrome sometimes and, and confidence issues. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, wow, um, I felt like I'd made it, you know, I was an EL2 and I was, I was really proud of myself. And, and my deputy commissioner who, who, who adored me and really trusted me asked me a question and I knew the answer, but I didn't have the courage to really articulate that at the time. And I sort of fumbled my way through the answer and 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 I said something along the lines of, well, let me think about that, David, and I'll come back to you. And that really was a missed opportunity because the next thing he turned around and said to me was, I thought you could think on your feet, see ya, in front of everybody. And I wanted the earth to open <laughs> and I wanted the earth to swallow me whole. And I vowed from that day on I would always come prepared to voice my opinions and have the courage to 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 sell the value of communication. Okay? We are probably the only business function in an organization who allows others to tell us how to do our job. Yeah. And it's time for us to take our power back. Yeah. How, what's your advice then for people about building that courage? Like it's one thing to say, next time I'm going to do it. But again, how do you equip yourself with with the necessary skills and and the mindset and the belief and the confidence to be able to speak up? Does it go back to that preparation and data point that you made earlier? Well, that's one key thing, and obviously it depends on what you're talking about. So arm yourself with the evidence you need to make a case. But also we really have to have a growth mindset and keep learning at the forefront of everything we do. We shouldn't sit there in our own little bubbles and focus on our communication skills only. At the end of the day, we are business people just like everybody else, and we need to act like business people. We use our communication expertise to solve business problems, but we are first and foremost business people just like everybody else. So one is to change your mindset, but absolutely keep learning. None of us know everything. We need to keep going to, you know, asking for professional development opportunities. And if I look at my own experience, one thing that really gave me confidence was getting certified. You know, we have a long way to go. We have been battling legitimacy issues for decades as a profession and to me, certification really is one of those ways that we can elevate what we do, the importance of what we do, and really, uh, you know, align ourselves to, to consistent global standards, which has been missing uh, from, from our profession. And I always come back to something my, my very good friend who uh, sadly passed away earlier this year, Deb Ganderton, she used to say, if we don't respect our profession, why should anybody else? And so I think that, you know, all of that combined really, you know, gives us courage, uh, but also connect with others that are doing the same thing. There's a huge opportunity. I mean, there were, you, you mentioned the IABC in my introduction. I could not do what I'm doing now without the IABC, without a, without a network of people just like me who, who know what I'm going through, who challenge me, who support me, who have my back. Uh, you know, I know I can go to them and ask them for help or advice at any time. They're the invaluable things that lift, lift you up and, and give you courage to, to continue. Mm. So, listen, once you left the ATO, where did you – I do want to talk, go back to talk about certification because I know that you've played a, a very big role on the IABC, you know, GCC 
certification and and we'll come back to that but i'm just interested in your journey of Mm -hmm. why did you leave the ato and where did you go so i left the ato at the end of 2000 uh september 2014 And I'd had a wonderful career in the ATO, but I just felt it was time for me to go. It was time for me to move on and do something different. And I really wanted to share my knowledge and my insights uh, on a more global scale. And so I started my own own consultancy, but... And this is where the networking is the gift that keeps on giving because I had I had met my current business partner, Adrian Cropley, at an IABC event 10 years prior. I was speaking at a conference. He was chairing the conference. We met. We instantly clicked and, you know, both of us say now we both our instant thought was, mm, we need to. Ha- I need to hang on to that person because uh, you know they're going to come. They're going to come in handy in the future. So over time, we would connect. But when I left the ATO, I rang Adrian and I said, "Listen, listen, Adrian, I'm about to leave my in-house role at the ATO, and I don't think I even finished the sentence because he said we have to work together." And then we started building the Center for Strategic Communication Excellence, and you know the rest is history, as they say. But I've, I feel. Although the ATO gave me a fantastic foundation, a fantastic grounding, I feel like I found myself as a communication professional uh, when I became a consultant. And, and why? What, what's what's the difference? What's what's given you that um, that sense of purpose and, and and identity, perhaps that that you've received through being a consultant and an educator, and not as a practitioner inside the the public sector. Because I, I feel that, that I truly have something important to share with communication professionals, as you mentioned in my intro, you know, I'm on a mission to elevate the value and visibility of communication professionals because I think we have the best job in an organisation. Um, and in no other function has such an all-access pass. We're in a very privileged position. We have access to a range of stakeholders and, and, and audiences, and it's really uh, important that we use that privilege in the right way. Um, but I think, too, the, the sorts of things I've been involved with as a consultant have really opened my eyes. Um, it's easy, and I, I totally get this. It's easy when you work in-house and you're under the pump and you're, you know, you're working on in your, in your little bubble, so to speak, with your team and your, in your internal or external stakeholders, you get wrapped up in that one organisation. As a consultant, as, a, as an educator, uh, as a trainer, I have such a, 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 I have a, a broader view and becoming more involved with the, the IABC, both as, you know, at the local level, at the regional level and at the international level has really um, given me that, that whole of profession uh, perspective, uh, and I just absolutely love it. I think I really do believe we we have we work in the best profession. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with that. You know, I love that line about it's an all access pass that you get because again, if you if you step towards uh, understanding and you're driven by a, a word also that you used earlier around curiosity, uh, you, you know, you do get to listen to lots of interesting conversations and when you can apply you know that knowledge skills experience as as a uh, as a communicator you can really add um, significant business value and you can 
uh, demonstrate that real impact from often simple um, ideas that don't have to cost huge amounts of money, but they come from, you know, good, solid strategic thinking. But anyway, we could talk about that. Uh, and big out, big, big, big the profession <laughs> up forever. But listen, I'm interested in the role that you're in, in the leadership role that you're in, both in the global community around strategic communication, but also in that you know critical education role that you and Adrian run there at the Centre for Strategic Communication Excellence. What's your view on on strategic communication and the function of communication and engagement at the moment. Where do we sit? How has it changed um, post-COVID and with the sort of um, more widespread adoption of digital technologies? And where might it be going? Now, that's a sort of let, let's let's break that down into its bits um, because it, that's a very big question to um, to reflect on. But where do you think we are at the moment? Um, I think coming off off the back of COVID, I think we're in a good position. I think there is nobody on the planet who can argue that communication is not important post-COVID. I think we've got some very, very key opportunities, particularly government communication professionals, to do things like help their agencies rebuild trust, Um, you know, uh, and not only internally but externally. So we're in a good position, but if we're not careful, we're going to creep back to doing what we did before. And that is, and I'm not saying everybody operates in this way, but generally uh, taking orders from people and getting and, and, and having people tell us how to do our jobs. So I want this, I want that. And so people come to us with a, a, a list of wants. I think we've got an opportunity to be a little bit more proactive or a lot more proactive rather around how we manage the communication function. I mean, at the end of the day, technology comes and goes, new generations enter the workforce, you know, obviously social, things like social media have, have changed the landscape for us and COVID was a huge, had a huge, huge impact, but the fundamentals don't change. And I, as you know, I, I teach strategic communication for a living, but I also do a lot of work with organisations where I, I, I review their the effectiveness of their, their communication. I conduct communication audits and I see the same things come up time and time again. No strategy with regards to communication, no audience insight around what's important, what their needs and preferences are, what they're saying, no listening, no employee voice, no opportunities for employees to have a say about what's important to them. You've got leaders who don't understand their role as communicator or don't want to be involved in the communication equation. But then there are others who do but don't have the support. So where are we investing? What's most important to your your organisation? And, of course, that whole measurement piece we talked uh, about earlier. But I do think we're in a good position if we can focus on what matters most, and that is strategic communication planning, getting to know our audiences, building relationships, uh, and, and and a focus on ongoing learning and a growth mindset. I think we'll be well on our way to to achieving the success that we that we dream of. So, have you noticed in your um, ed, your educating role that there is there's a change in in people who are interested in strategic communication, or is it still people coming out of the communication function looking to improve their skills? I think it's a bit of both, but you know. Strategic is one of those words, David, mm. 
that gets thrown around so often and people have it as part of their title. I'm a strategic communication manager. Uh, I operate strategically. I'm really strategic. And then when you ask them, you know, where's the strategy for communication? Uh, you know, uh, what audience insight have you gathered? You know, uh, how do you measure the value of your work? And how do you, how do you sell that value to the organization's decision makers? Oh, I don't have time for that. <laughs> um, so how are you being strategic then? So I just, it keeps going round and round. Mm. But I do think there are people that are committed to becoming more strategic and they're the communication professionals I love working with because they have an open mind. Mm. And they don't think they know it all. No, no, and it's it, and I think that notion of a you know humility. Uh, we don't know everything. You know, there's perpetual change in what we do uh, in terms of technology and the impacts that technology then have on audiences and what their needs and preferences are. So it do, there's really yeah no room to sort of think that you know too much because. Uh, things are changing very quickly and uh, you really do need to stay 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 centered stay grounded um, you do need to think about those sort of longer term strategic outcomes that you're driving towards but context shifts so quickly that you really do need to stay clear and stay focused on what it is that you're trying to achieve so with that in mind where where then or or what are you seeing as the important qualities and skills that young communicators should be focused on in order for them to you know to be valued in those senior meetings to be addressed with respect and confidence and to be able to make the uh, you know, the recommendations that, that are valued by organisations? So I think uh, strategic planning is a key skill um, because, you know, strategic communication doesn't happen. It's, it's, it's a result of, a, of, of structured planning. And so what are those elements that make up strategic communication planning? And, you know, look at the important things. What are you trying to do with your communication? Does it meet a business need? Is it solving a business problem? And having that really as your anchor moving forward, because again, we don't do comms because we've got nothing better to do. We do it because it fulfills a purpose. And then looking at your communication from an outcome perspective rather than an output perspective. So instead of counting things and focusing on those vanity metrics, look at the outcomes. What do you, what do you want people to know? What do you want them to think and feel? What do you want them to, to do and say as a result of your communication? If you focus your communication around those outcomes, you will act and, and, and create more strategic communication. So the first thing is planning. And that includes measurement, of course. I think change communication is a key skill that we need to get better at, at doing, and that's different to to other communication skills. So people just bucket that in with everything else. But, you know, the rate of change is, is just getting faster and faster. Organisations throughout COVID have transformed in a number of ways, and that transformation is not going away. The future of work is unclear. The way we're working is still not worked out. There is no consistent view about in, in most organisations about what that looks like. So change communication is a key skill. And I think we need to get better as a function at taking a consultancy mindset and our own agency mindset. So 
we are not the controllers of communication anymore. We are the facilitators of communication. If we want communication in an organisation to occur in a robust way, to be effective, for our leaders to, to be good communicators, for employees to know what a good good communication practice looks like, we have to let go of the controls a little bit more and teach people about what that looks like. So we really become like a yeah, coaches. Yeah, I totally agree. And and I look, I think the, and this again is the, you know, the, the world according to me uh, is this, you know, the communication function is undergoing rapid transformation driven by digital technology and this sense that central communication teams are going to be able to enable the level and the volume and the velocity of communication that is required at at the speed that it's going to be required to meet the needs of audiences. I just can't see that's going to happen. And like edge computing, where we're sort of moving, you know, computing power closer to the edges of organisations to meet the needs of audiences, I think it's going to be the same with uh, communication skills and capability, and it's got to be moved closer to audiences because their requirements aren't slowing down, their demands aren't slowing down, right. and they're not going to wait. You know, they're 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 moving at warp speed, and so this this notion of control and approvals and and risk. I'm really interested in your views on that in transforming organisations, particularly public sector organisations, because there's no presentation that you can ever make or no engagement with an audience that you can make in in the public sector that someone doesn't roll their eyes about approvals and waiting for approvals and waiting for people to uh, uh, green light uh, activities which are sometimes because they're not done when they need to be done they're lost um, you know that contextual opportunity might might pass by because you know you weren't you know weren't quick enough to be able to to hit that opportunity. So, what's your view around um, that governance piece, around risk, around approvals at a time where this transformation is taking place, where audiences are increasingly demanding, particularly of of public sector organisations who, as you mm. mentioned earlier. Um, do have a trust problem because yeah, they are Yeah, so I think we have a real opportunity as, to change uh, want the to way be. we think about risk and, you know, things like approvals. I mean, approvals aren't unique just to government organisations, but having worked in the government for, uh, you know, 12 and a half years as I did back then, uh, we were, you know, the ATO back then was very risk averse and, and, and I'm sure many government departments are still very risk averse. I think we, we have an opportunity to get our governance processes up to scratch first. So really defining what a robust communication function and how communication function should operate. So again, in, in my work with organisations and, and communicating, uh, running communication audits and reviews, I'm, I'm still surprised at the number of functions who don't have any formal processes or procedures when it comes to communication. How do you operate? What are your, you know, what does good communication practice looks like, look like? How can my stakeholders use the tools and templates and the frameworks that I've got to then do communication themselves, which frees me up to do more valuable work? But all of that and, and using the information that we have at our disposal, including, you know, reports like the Edelman Trust Barometer around the impact of 
uh, risk uh, uh, and being too risk averse and holding things up. I mean, if you look at the the, the latest Edelman uh, Trust report, they did a special report, Trust in the Workplace. Quality information matters more than fair pay. That blew my mind. You know that that. Let's anchor what we're doing in, in things like that so we can make a case for it. Um, and I noticed that when I, at the time that I was preparing to leave the ATO, we were focusing more on uh, an experience for our citizens that mirrored the consumer experience. And I think that's what we also have to do in the communication space. People want information that is easy to digest, easy to consume. I get to choose what I want. And frame your communication around that. It's not this thing that takes three weeks. If you if you take three weeks to get something out the door, you've missed the boat. So look at, you know, but but that's something that takes time to do. You're not going to do it over, over time. But if you have built the right relationships and you start building leadership communication competence, organisational communication competence, you can start to factor those things into your approach around Let's mirror. Let's have a communication experience that mirrors the, the 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 consumer experience, and also just because we're a government agency doesn't mean we have to be boring and really you know stagnant in our approach. We have an opportunity to be creative and a little bit cheeky sometimes. What's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with it <laughs> at all. Um, and again, getting the tone right is is so important depending, you know, what it is that you are talking about. But, yeah, tone, context, you know, that shape of the communication, the form, the format, the time, the channel, you know, these are all things that need to be uh, considered in developing effective communication programs. But I'm, I'm interested in that, your observation there around change communication and the differences that you see in enabling effective change communication. Can you just expand on that for me a, a little? So as I mentioned earlier, the, the you know, organisations are undergoing significant change right now. Uh, many are still trying to figure out what the future of work looks like for them, um, getting people in the door, keeping them in the door, um, making sure they're doing what they say they're doing, acting consistently, all of that sort of thing. And change communication is really one of those capabilities that has, it's similar, but, it, you know, it has some nuances that that communication professionals really need to understand. And that is, I mean, if you look internally, for example, a lot of that around change communication is is around listening. It's around ensuring that people understand what is going on, is giving them that context for change. And people always hide behind, oh, people don't like change. It's not that they don't like change. They don't understand why it's happening because organisations just go hell for leather on the change without taking the opportunity to explain the context behind why something is happening. And so that there's a key skill there for communication professionals to explain that to people. Um, I think we also, again, going back to what I said earlier about taking an agency mindset and being coaches is really helping leaders take charge of change because ultimately that's their job, okay? And what do people want? People people want to play a part in the change and they help, you know, people support what they help to create. And if you can give people a, a role to play in the change, then you are going to go a lot further 
in in getting buy-in in your messages uh, and, in, and ensuring the change happens and sticks. So from a communication perspective, there are some, uh, you know, nuances that that need to be accounted for that are different to um, uh, the normal strategic communication planning. And there's a lot more psychology in change. And so that's that's the difference from a from a skilling perspective. When we teach courses in in change, we go through um, you know the 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 change curve and and um, you know things like the reaction over time model and things like that. So you know people think they they can prevent people from having a reaction. You can't. But if you use your communication in the right way, you can shorten the time it takes from go you know from going to a uh, a to b. And that's the, and that's clearly the looking back. You've had a wealth of experience: um, public sector, private sector, education, being a part of a, a global uh, excellence organisation such as the IABC, driving certification, encouraging people to you know test their skills uh, and to to stay on top um, of their skills as they drive towards further progress in their careers and and having the value of that certification, which is really the the proof um, that someone is able to uh, complete a function to a a particular level. But if I could ask you then to perhaps look into the future and uh, give us your views on the communication function over the next sort of three to five um, years, maybe even a, a little bit longer than that, where do you see it going and and how do we get there how do we as a as a, a, a as a profession work together um, to be able to achieve our fullest potential I think we have an opportunity to be a lot more consolidated and connected um, at the end of the day from a from an organizational perspective I think in the future collaboration and conversation, are going to become even more important given the current way we're working. Um, so we have a role to play in facilitating that connection, facilitating that humanity, telling those stories so people feel aligned to their organisation, they stay in their organisations longer. Um, and I and I also think that we have a, a key role to play in helping our, our organisation's leaders seriously break down silos in organization and you know you get that everywhere silos exist everywhere but working you can't work collaboratively if you're working in a silo or you have a silo mentality and so i think that is going to feature more heavily as i said earlier i think we need to take a more of an agency mindset uh, and and think like an agency we're there to provide the advice we're there to provide the frameworks the resources the tools and the templates and facilitate communication not control it um Obviously, technology is is going to feature heavily in our future. Artificial intelligence, we've been talking about it for years. Um, But communication professionals are not so good at taking the control. We always wait for others to say, okay, it's fine to use this now. It's important that we do this and let's let's go ahead and do it. Rather than taking control and saying, well, I don't want this to to damage, you know, what I'm currently doing or, or to derail my efforts. I have to look into the, is this important to what I'm currently doing, um, and then focus on what truly matters to your organisation. Building our business acumen, you know, so we can make sure that we're solving business problems, prioritising listening, um, and keeping learning at the centre of everything we do. It is, 
I'm hoping. And finally, putting this measurement piece to bed because we've been talking about it for decades. And, and we every time, you know, we just put a different spin on it. Let's just put it to bed. Find out what, measure what matters, find out what's important, demonstrate your results, focus on outcomes and, you know. Would you, you say that you're on balance, you know, very optimistic, optimistic, neutral, not, you know, pessimistic, very pessimistic? Where would you put yourself on that scale? In terms of the, what the future yeah. holds? Yeah. Well, well, probably not so much. Not so much what the future holds, because the potential is obvious. Um, the opportunity is clear. But on that scale, how from from a communication profession point of view, in terms of on that scale, where do you think we're going to land? You know, where how are we going to be able to to grip up these challenges and opportunities in a way that positions communication as a far more influential, fundamental. Um, business function inside an organisation? Look, I am optimistic. I'm, I'm naturally an optimistic person. So I would like to think that communication professionals have heard it loud and clear, particularly through COVID. I mean, at the end of the day, as a profession, we are exhausted. We're tired. We have, we we are, you know, COVID ha- has has really impacted our mental well-being, and I, uh, I'm not sure if, if you if you've seen my yeah. my report, but I, I but I looked into I that. I contributed. No, no, I I contributed to to that. And actually, why don't we just quickly jump into that because it's a, mm-hmm. um, an important piece of work. Just to summarise to to the audience, what was the findings, or what were the findings of your state of mental well-being in the communication um, research that you did. Yeah, so that was a study I uh, kicked off last October to coincide with with, uh, World Mental Health Day. And uh, we had responses from almost 800 communication professionals in 40 countries and around 12% of those respondents were from government. And what we found, some really alarming results from this study, and that is that communication professionals overall are stressed, they're anxious and they're frustrated what I found most alarming, though, is almost half of respondents said they've considered leaving the profession for the sake of, mental, of their mental well-being. That I found very, very alarming and, and something that I think as a profession we need to address as a matter of urgency. Uh, two-thirds of respondents said their mental, well has declined, the mental well-being has, has declined since the beginning of the pandemic. Less than half at the time were optimistic about their mental well-being going into 2022. And here's another key opportunity for communication professionals. Almost three quarters believe their organisation should do more to support mental wellbeing in the, in the workplace. One in 10 organisations are seen to offer no mental wellbeing support to their employees. And only 55% of managers are seen to actively ask their team members, their communication professionals, how they're going, and even less are seen to actively listen to their people. And similar results for our our peers and colleagues. We're not listening to our peers and colleagues. We're not supporting our peers and colleagues. We're not checking in to see how they're feeling. And so these are key opportunities. Um, there's, I also spoke to seven communication leaders around the world, including Russell Grosman, who is the Director of Communication at the Office of Rail and Road in the UK, about what they were doing to support the mental well-being of people in their organisation and also the mental well-being of their communication professionals. And it was really clear that those organisations that were getting it right 
had three things in common. They actively create a working culture that normalizes the topic of mental well-being. And also and and one of the leaders I spoke to was Daniel Bond, who is the the director of uh, comms uh, at uh, Oricon. And at Oricon, they start each meeting with a health, safety and wellbeing share. So they're starting to embed those conversations into their daily practices. The organizations also prioritize listening. And they do that in a number of ways. It's not just structured listening, but it's also informal listening. So they have lots of one-on-one catch-ups, group catch-ups, check-ins, a series of questions they can ask each other and that type of thing. And thirdly, they have leaders who role model the behaviours they want to see that support a psychologically safe environment. So they're the, the three things that they had in common, um, but some wonderful insights. And I think what we do next is really going to determine how successful we are as a profession. We need to look after each other more. We need to care for each other more. We need to have more conversations about how we're feeling and then focus on high-value work, the strategic word. And, and, and through the, the, the report as well, David, workloads and demands featured heavily as what impacts the mental well-being of communication professionals, which gives us an opportunity. Are we focusing on the right work? Are we focusing on the higher value work that's going to that's going to elevate our value and visibility and make sure that we stay at the top? Or are we just going to sink back into doing the doing and, and having, you know, ask any communication professional what they're up to and their answer is usually I'm busy. And and one of my one of one of my colleagues uh, said around the time I was conducting this study, hard work is valued in our profession and worn like a badge of honour. And another colleague said, yes, but we have to remember how to be human. Mm. And I just think that nails it. Like those two comments prove where we're at as a profession mm. right now. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because if if the profession doesn't grip up these types of problems and identified by those alarming statistics, um, it'll never reach its potential because it'll never be mature enough to be able to grow towards that potential because it just, you know, you won't be able to hold on to the people. People won't be able to perform to the level that you need them to perform at um, to deliver on that high value um, more impactful work. So it's it's uh, a credit to you that you've, uh, you know, you've you've laid out uh, the challenge and the opportunity and the solution. And really it's for every leader uh, and even participant really in, in the profession to really um, have the courage to, to, to talk about it more and, and make it something that is normalised. Absolutely. And, and this is why I feel so passionately too about certification because that's what's been missing from our profession, consistent standards. And that's what certification mm. gives us. It elevates our profession. You know, it, it's a profession that has standards and ethics and a clear purpose. And if we can wrap ourselves and what we do around a global standard of strategic communication excellence, well, then automatically the value of what we do increases. Very true, Sia Papagiorgio. Very true. And thank you so much um, for giving up some of your time today. It's been a wonderful conversation and I, I love talking to you because... Again, that uh, authenticity, uh, that empathy, that leadership, that love of the game, so to speak, um, always 
uh, comes out in in uh, conversations with you, and you are to be congratulated for uh, stepping forward into that leadership role, that educator role, and uh, the impact that you're having uh, across you know not just in Australia, not just in Victoria, but around the world. Uh, you know, fantastic. It's it's just wonderful to to know you, to admire you, and to see the uh, ongoing contribution you continue to make. And there's just so much value uh, in our conversation today. The purpose of the GovComs podcast is really to is to learn uh, and to, to gain uh, the benefit of the wisdom of people such as yourself. And uh, thank you so much on behalf of the audience for sharing that with us today. Uh, we are very grateful for that. Thank you so much, David. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I love what you're doing at GovComs. Absolutely. Well thank done. you so much, Sia. And to you. The audience, thank you for sticking around. That one went a little bit longer, but, you know, come on, it was good fun and so much value there. And really, uh, go back and listen to it again. Um, I've just made a pile of notes um, that I'm going to go away and read now and reflect on um, because, again, we have just had um, the benefit of sitting with one of the best in the business and uh She's taught us all um, so much today. And again, that's what the podcast is all about, that if we can take some of this knowledge and wisdom away and apply it in our daily lives to be more courageous, you know, to do this higher value work, to be strategic. The frameworks are there. You know, we, we know how to structure this stuff together to get off that hamster wheel of the busy, of the doing, of the, you know, and get out and build those relationships and make sure you are curious and make sure you invite yourself along to all sorts of discussions. Audience, it's the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth most important thing when you're thinking about your communication. So where are those opportunities to learn more inside your organizations? But also, as Sia said, where's the data? It's everywhere. There are reports everywhere. So go out, equip yourself, uh, be ready to add value so you can be in those conversations and and learn from Sia. Um, what she said, you know, in that meeting where she was called upon to step forward and she just didn't quite have the confidence to be able to step up and do it. Well, make sure that you're ready for when your Sia moment comes that you step into that uh, that opportunity and you have the impact that communications can have because I tend to agree with Sia that our time it has come and now it's up to us to really take this opportunity. But anyway, sermonizing over. Time to get back to work. Time for you to get back to work. Time for me to get back to work. A big thanks again to Sia Papagiorgio for helping and also to Olivia Casamento, who does such a great job pulling these programs together. We'll be back at the same time in a fortnight. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.